morning again. Like I said, uh, my name is Pastor Kevin. I am the Associate Pastor of Worship and Discipleship. Our Senior Pastor Craig and Student Pastor Adam are on vacation this week. And so it's just me and Buster. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I said this morning, I'm going to say it again, I'm so privileged to be able to uh, have so many talented musicians that I can just take a step back away from the microphone on days that I'm preaching and, and not miss, miss a beat. <clears throat> I probably could have, probably should have, just completely sat down on the pew. Um, but uh, God's on the throne is just way too much fun to play, and I wasn't going to miss it. So I said, I'm going to play that song. So I'm playing. You will turn your Bible to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. We're just going to get into it, so if you will, if you are able, you stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. 1 through 16. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go unto Jerusalem. When our days were there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. We had, he had four married daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these day, days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for a wonderful time. We've already had worshiping. Uh, spending time in your word already today. God, I pray for your blessings upon uh, this service, blessings upon this sermon. Um, just use me to speak your words, God, and not my own. God, I pray that you would uh, uh, just be with us and join us as we study your word. In the name I pray, amen. By the time I was a senior in high school, graduation couldn't come fast enough. I had senioritis horribly, and I was ready to get out of there, ready to move on to bigger and better things, ready to make my mark on the world, ready to dust my feet off of that little podunk town and, and get on with life with something bigger and better. I was excited and eager, and that fall I moved. For the first time in my life, I'd never lived anywhere else until I moved that fall. I moved three and a half hours away to Mississippi State University where I would spend the next two years, didn't graduate there. But what I didn't know, what I didn't know before I moved, and what I didn't know when I was planning my journey was that my first roommate would be a vampire, my second roommate was worse. He was a Lutheran. 
We, we came to be great friends. It's all good. <laughs> and that I would begin to hate my choice of major. I started out as an engineering major. I'm not, I, I, I changed it to music. <laughs> Go figure. And uh, shortly after Christmas break, I would meet the girl of my dreams that I'm spending the rest of my life with right now. So I had no idea that those things would, ha- would happen. It's always amazing to look back and see how God used the small things to shape and guide my path through the years all the way to this moment. And we can't always see what God has waiting for us around the next bend. We can't fathom where we will be in 20 years. Then think that 10 years ago I would be here. It's often not what we plan for, but when we follow God's will, it's better than we could have hoped for if we put our faith and trust in God to guide us and shape our lives the way he wants. God builds the journey. He surrounds us with friendships. He takes us through experiences, all to shape his will in our lives. And if we desire to be transformed by the amazing plan that he has for us, we have to let him do these things in us. So it brings me to my first point. I'm trying to do better on time than I did this morning. They were about ready to kick me off the stage this morning. So, By the way, Craig spent two months practicing to not go over time. I, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't preached since, since, before the, we, we, since we changed the two services. So hold on. Hopefully I'll make it. Um, the first point, making the journey. Paul continued his journey along the coastline in an attempt to make it back to Jerusalem in time for, for Pentecost. In this passage of Scripture, we have listed out all of his stops, each location representing one day in the journey uh, because the small coastal vessel didn't travel at night. In Patara, he realized the coastal vessel wouldn't get him there in time. So he switched, to, and he changed ships to a seafaring vessel that could take him all the way across the Mediterranean uh, in, in one go, a much larger seafaring vessel uh, to land in Syria where he can make, finish a journey by land. Though Paul didn't stay more than uh, one night in each of these steps early on, they are marked here in Scripture as part of his journey. Each of these places was unique in their own rights. Kos was was the chief city on an island of the same name. Patara was a a busy port city underneath Asia Minor uh, as they rounded the corner there. But most interesting of all is Rhodes. And Rhodes is the home of the Colossus of Rhodes. You may uh, be familiar with that. This giant statue, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, that stood with its feet on either side of the mouth of the harbor. That was Rhodes. Now, in in Paul's time, that statue had had actually toppled uh, after an earthquake and was laying mostly intact on the ground where it would stay for about another 600 years. And so it was still so impressive that it was a tourist attraction for Rhodes. People would come from, from hundreds of miles just to come see the Colossus laying there on the ground. Uh, ancient historians would write about it. They're laying on the ground and how impressive it was. But every destination in Paul's journey was part of the path that God took him on. And all, they were all worth noting in Paul's eyes. Each step was marked, identified. In fact, we can say the same about all of Paul's travels. He marked the steps. He counted the journey. He laid it all out for us uh, because it was important for him to remember the places that God had brought him through. In our service to Christ, he may take us to many places and through many things. For some, for some people, that's literal. 
He will literally move you to a new place, take you on a physical journey through the world. For us, we went from Mississippi to New Orleans, back to Mississippi to South Carolina. He has literally been moving us around the country. But for everyone, God takes, on, takes them on a spiritual journey. All of us. You might not take the physical journey, but you're taking the spiritual journey. And God wants to take us through this journey in life from place to place and teach us how to rely on him. He wants to show us his power. He wants to show us his glory. He wants to show us his love. And this comes in many different forms along the way. Sometimes it's in a new friend or the loss of a loved one. Sometimes it's being challenged to let go of things in our hearts that we're clinging to uh, too tightly. But following Christ is a journey. Following Christ means reaching spiritual destinations. It means taking steps forward. It means moving along the path. It means learning and growing and letting Christ take us to that next destination that he wants to take you to. And we need to mark these spiritual destinations in our lives. Pay attention to them because we cannot stop the journey. But each step is important. Each step has taught us something. And we look forward as Christ leads us to a better understanding of his will and meaning of the kingdom of God through each and every step. I'm a storyteller by nature, and if you know anything about stories or, or, or fiction or anything, if you've lived in that world at any point, you've probably come across the hero's journey. The hero's journey is this template, if you will, this overarching story that you can just about take any story that's ever been written and, and, and use it Use the hero's journey to describe it. It's, it's a, a universal template for all good stories. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, just about anything you can think of follows the hero's journey. And the hero's journey comes from the work of Joseph Campbell. And he wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he, he was not a storyteller. He wasn't a fiction writer. He was a cultural anthropologist. And he wrote this book from which we get our understanding of the hero's journey but it wasn't to help storytellers. It was to help us understand why so many storytellers across the world and throughout history are telling the same story. He looked at mythologies from various cultures all across the world and throughout history, places unrelated to each other, places that have never interacted, and realized that on a fundamental level, they're all telling the same story. And he was able to identify the recurring elements over and over and over again. And this is what we put together and we call it the hero's journey. What he stumbled upon, and I think he, he missed Jesus right in front of his face. What he stumbled upon was humanity's inbuilt dissatisfaction with life and our inbuilt desire to be reconciled with God. To become something more. Because that's the first element of every story. The hero is dissatisfied with life and is looking for something more. So they go on this, this life-transforming journey to find that something more. So here right at the beginning, in their first point, I want to ask this question. Have you ever felt like you were meant for something more? Have you ever felt like you were meant for something more? Of course, the answer is yes, we all have. It's because it's built inside of us. The reason we feel that way is because we are. 
We were designed for something more. That's what Campbell found in his research. We all feel this way because we were meant for something more, and God wants to take us on a journey to find him and to find our purpose. And we need to be excited about what God wants to do through us and for us and with us as we journey to get closer to him. We need to be ready to come alongside him as he does something new in our lives because following Christ is not about stopping in one place for too long. Paul didn't go, Paul didn't go see the Colossus. If Paul went to go see the Colossus, he would have stayed more than one day and it would probably have been written down, down for us. I mean, for all indication, he didn't even get off the ship. It's not about stopping in one place and enjoying all the sights and wonders that the world has to offer right there in that spot. It's about getting to the destination that God wants to take us to. And when we settle for one destination over the final journey, when we get stuck in the process, when the world throws something shiny at us and we stop, we will never know the extent of what God wants to do in our lives. So where are you now? Where you are is just one stop. If you've gotten stuck in the process, you need to get back on the boat and continue the journey. But where you are right now is one stop along the way of God showing you what you were meant to be. And we're not going to get all the way there in this life. We cannot be transformed completely in this life. But we are being transformed. It is part of the journey. Don't get stuck along the way. Where does Christ want to take you next? And that brings me to the second point. The journey changes you. Journey changes you. There were representatives of some of the churches and fellow disciples and missionaries all with a desire to accompany Paul back to Jerusalem. Along the way, Paul encounters disciples that he encourages, that love on him, that weep with him, pray with him. Here back on the mainland where, where he would finally reach Jerusalem on the, on, by land, he once again spends time with the believers he found in Tyr. Seven days he stayed with them. He didn't stay seven days anywhere else. He stayed seven days with these guys right here. And, and when it was time for him to continue this journey south, they knelt and they prayed. All of their families, the men, the women, the children, all went to the beach to pray with him. Most of these people, uh, people Paul had never, probably never met and may never see again. But there was a connection. There was a connection between them. There was a connection through their shared faith. I want to show you a connection. Acts chapter 11. You can turn there really quickly if you want. I'm just going to read one verse. 11.19 says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Let's break that down. Now those who were scattered because of the per persecution, those who were scattered... Believers who left Jerusalem because of the persecution that arose over Stephen and who was given charge of that persecution, Paul, traveled as far as Phoenicia. Tyre was a port city in Phoenicia. This is Phoenicia. This church, these Christians are here 
because they were part of the initial scattering of believers caused by Paul himself. These that brought their families and their wives and their children to weep and pray with him are only there because Paul was a part of the process that got them there. Think of the full circle of events here. Persecution by Paul led these people away from Jerusalem. Now they're begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem because of the persecution he may have to face. These people left. Now Paul is returning in their place. He is going to face the consequences of something he helped to start. The text says that they brought their wives and children to see Paul off. Can you imagine, imagine what they told their children about this man? One of my favorite moments in The Hobbit, if you've seen the movie, you've read the book, Bilbo asks Gandalf if, if he can promise if he'll come back from the journey. And Gandalf says, no. And if you do, you will not be the same. Bilbo went on that journey, and he was forever changed. The hero never becomes the hero if he doesn't go on the journey. Joseph Campbell called that the refusal of the call. So at some point in everybody's life, in their dissatisfaction, they have an opportunity, an opportunity to listen to the call and to begin that journey. But the hero never becomes a hero if they refuse, if they stay in their place. The story never starts. Paul went on the journey God called him to, and he was forever changed. And I wonder if sometimes God calls us to difficult things and we refuse because we're scared. We often talk about counting the cost. And when we do, we typically talk about uh, the things that we can measure and the things that we can quantify. Uh, we talk about losing friends and jobs and family and reputation and all these things. We have to consider. We have to think through. And some of us might say, yes, we're willing to do those things. We're willing to give up friends and reputation and, and, and family and, and, and all the jobs, all of these things. We're willing to do these things. We give them up. But there's still something holding us back. There's still something that's keeping us from moving forward in that journey. And I wonder if we don't sometimes use those bigger things, those things we can identify as a red herring, as a straw man, something, something as we can, a, a misdirection that we can point to. And say, I, the, these are the reasons that I'm, I don't want to move forward in the journey. But really, that's not the real thing. Really, the, we don't want to admit and confess the real thing that's keeping us from moving forward. The real thing, we don't want to give up ourselves. Maybe we don't want to follow through with what God is calling us to do because we're afraid of how God is going to change us. And we look around at our life knowing that if we ever came back to where we are now, we'll, we will not be the same. We know that. If you take the journey, God's going to change you and you'll never get to come back because you won't be the same. We'll give up friends jobs, family, reputation for the sake of Christ, but God don't ask us to become someone different. But here's the big joke. Here's the big joke on us. To be a Christian, to become a Christian, 
is to be changed. To be a follower of Christ is to allow him to transform us, whether you like it or not. It's called sanctification. You will be changed. If you are going to give in to God, if you're going to accept Christ as your Savior, you are accepting change. If you're not a believer and you're hearing this, I just want to ask you that question again. If you ever felt like you were meant for something more, it's because you are. God wants to put you on a journey to show you what that is. He wants to help you become what you were meant to be. It will cost you. It will change you. Heroes and stories never really get to go home because they're not the same person that left in the first place. But if you want to find out what you were meant to be, you've got to answer the call to start your journey with Christ. Otherwise, you'll stay home wondering what could have been and never really understanding why you can't find joy and hope. You'll be miserable. That's what Campbell found. The people who never answered the call stayed home and were miserable. All those things are on the journey with Christ. God wants to show them to you. He wants to show you what you are meant to be. If you're a believer, God is going to keep changing you whether you want it or not. Your choice, then, is a little different. You can fight him the entire way and never quite make it as far down the path as God wants to take you. You'll never fully discover the richness of what God wants to call you to become Or you can let God take you on the full journey he wants, as fast and as far as he wants to take you. One of them is frustrating and painful. One can be scary and exhilarating at the same time. So what are you really scared of? Because to be in the center of the God's will is the safest place you can be. And to be transformed by God into what he's created you to be, I can't imagine a more better way to live your life. Third point this morning, you don't journey alone. With each stop along the way, Paul experienced something unique that guided him into a better understanding of God's will. Earlier, he encountered amazing destinations, okay, but didn't linger. Now he spent a week with believers that he didn't know who came out with their families to pray with him before he left. On his next stop, he will again stay with more believers. And and on that next stop, he connects with Philip. The evangelist. You remember Philip the evangelist, don't you? Back in chapter 6, he was one of the seven men chosen to be a deacon, one of the first deacons, during, that, during a time when Paul was persecuting Christians. Philip and Stephen would have served side by side. Philip later preached in Samaria and was led by God to the desert where he he, uh, was able to explain the scriptures to an Ethiopian who gave his life to Christ. And by the end of chapter 8 of Acts, Philip has traveled up the coast and uh, and it tells us he returns back to Caesarea where he is from. And that's where we come back to Philip. Paul has gone back to Caesarea. That's where Philip, Philip lives. We've also been to Caesarea before. Peter came here in chapter 10. He came to the home of Cornelius. Peter went to go investigate what what God was doing among the Gentiles. He found believers there. And it's probably Philip that had a hand in some of that. Now we find these two original enemies, okay, Paul and Philip, together 
as friends. Philip's entire household was blessed of God, and his daughters were called prophetesses. And while Paul stayed there, another prophet came, Agabus, and warned Paul of what would happen once he reached Jerusalem. We've seen Agabus before as well. He was one of the prophets that came from Jerusalem to Antioch to report about a famine. Find this in chapter 11. And so the church at Antioch took up a collection and sent it back to Jerusalem. By who? Barnabas and Paul. Paul's journey was not just made up of destinations, but it was made up of specific personal experiences that guided him to his destination. These people were people who were there when Paul was getting started. They saw him in the beginning. They saw where he came from. Philip experienced it. Lost a friend. Agabus was there when Paul was like just getting his teeth cut, you know, learning what it means to do ministry in Antioch. And now, here they are coming back together in the end of Paul's missionary journeys. God doesn't send us on the journey alone. Even when we feel alone, if we look around, we'll find more people than we realize surrounding us, helping us, praying for us, and mentoring us through every step of the way. And sure, like Jesus, there may be moments where God sends us into a desert situation to help us learn to rely solely on Him and to trust Him, but He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. So even when we're alone, God is still with us. We are never really alone. The question is... Are we walking with the companions God puts in our journey or are we running away from them? Are we working together in our Christian life or are we trying to be the solo hero? Maverick. It's interesting that in Campbell's work on developing the hero's journey from the cultural myths that he studied, one of the most common elements is that the heroes never journeyed alone. There would be companions and mentors coming in and out of their lives, guiding them, helping them grow, become who they were, who the hero they were trying to become. And like I said, his work is cultural anthropology. So it tells us something about the human nature. What that tells us is that the humans, humans know we need companions to walk us, walk with us through life. We know that. It's instinct. It's because we're not meant to do this alone. We have a built-in desire to share our journey with others. It's part of our created design. In Genesis, God, is, uh, God says it's not good for man to be alone. In, in a, a series of chapters, in a chapter where God is doing all these amazing things and he's calling everything good, there's one thing one thing only that he pronounces not good. And that's for man to be alone. It's part of our created design. Ecclesiastes tells us, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, but three full cord is never quickly broken. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two to do ministry. And we, we express our created desire to share our journey. We express it by this longing 
to be with others. And we express it in three ways. First, other people help us when we can't help ourselves. When things are going wrong, God surrounds us with people who can be strong when we can't. That's part of the design. Second, we're there for other people when they can't help themselves. When things are going wrong for someone else, it's our responsibility to hold them up and be strong for them when they can't be strong. We don't shoot the wounded. We're supposed to be the ones that run out onto the battlefield and cover our wounded friend so that they can crawl back to safety and heal. That's the way it's supposed to work. And third, Sometimes when, when we or someone else is walking through an unavoidable, difficult season in our lives, it makes it just a little bit easier when we have someone beside us to cheer us on. Summer after my freshman year of college, I worked at the RA camp in Mississippi called Central Hills. And while I was there, um, at the beginning before camp started, I trained to be a lifeguard. There were several of us, about 20 of us, that were training to be, do lifeguard duty over the camp season. Um, before you can begin training and learning to be a lifeguard, you have to go through a qualification process. So they require you to demonstrate that you have some of the basic foundational skills in order to, to do what you're going to be trained to do. And one of those is an endurance swim. They require you to swim something like 400 yards without stopping. They want to make sure that you have the swim strength to accomplish the task. So this is this grueling 400-yard endurance swim. But none of us had to do it alone. There would be somebody stationed at each end of the pool to cheer us on as we made the turn, right? And when, if someone started to struggle, then that some person became two someones or three someones. Or somebody or two or three people start walking along the length of the pool, cheering us on. And for some, that encouragement was the only way they got through. It's the only way they completed the task was because there were people there cheering them on, helping them. Paul is going in the lines then, but he's not alone. His friends are trying to protect him. They, they're, they're there for him to cover him, pray for him, offer him direction. And he'll be surrounded by friends all the way to Jerusalem. They're going to cheer him on all the way. They'll encourage him not to compromise on God's will for his life, no matter how hard it gets. Are you that kind of friend? Do you look around for those wounded and reach out to help them back to safety? Do you find ways to cheer others on when they're walking through difficult seasons of life? God doesn't intend for you or anyone else to journey alone, and he doesn't intend for those around you to feel alone. If you've been blessed with friends like this, thank them. Thank God for them. I want you to know if you feel alone today, if you feel alone right now, I want you to know that God, God doesn't believe that's good. The creator of the universe declared in the first chapter of Genesis that it's not good for you to be alone. Your loneliness is two things, okay? It's an indication that what I've been saying is correct and that you have a desire, 
an inbuilt desire not to be alone. You're alone. You're, you feel lonely because you don't want to be alone. And you don't want to be alone because God designed you that way. And second, something about the process has malfunctioned in your life. Because God designed us to not be alone. And if you feel alone, then something about that process that God designed has malfunctioned. There are people around you in this building who don't want you to be alone. And they will cheer you through whatever it is you're walking through. Just reach out. Reach out to someone. Interrupt the malfunction. Interrupt the malfunction. That's one of the things psychologists tell you you can, can stop a panic attack is if you do something to interrupt the flow, right? You interrupt the malfunction. Do that in your loneliness. Interrupt the malfunction. Reach out to someone. Let God show you what it's supposed to be like. Fourth this morning, know, know, know your guide. Knowing your guide. Even though Paul had received ample warnings from friends about what was going to happen in Jerusalem, he had a clear understanding of what God's will on his life. He purposed in his heart to face whatever God, God's will would be regardless. And he didn't let others distract him from pursuing the will of Christ. They're well-intentioned. They're trying to help him. They love him. They don't want to see him hurt. But Paul was not going to let them distract him because he clearly understood what, what God's will was for his life. And it broke Paul's heart. And we don't really know exactly why it broke Paul's heart. It could be uh, that uh, it, it was, it, his heart was broken because he was conflicted and he wanted to stay. Okay? And it broke his heart that he couldn't stay. He knew he had to follow God. Or it could be that he could see the will of God clearly, and he knew his friends couldn't, and it broke his heart that they couldn't see what he could see. Either way, it broke his heart, but he was single-mindedly focused on the will of God. He marked the will of God and would not be distracted from it. He was committed to the journey, and he trusted God to be the guide. It didn't matter to Paul what the outcome would be. His greatest desire was to see the will of God done. And after being reminded of this by Paul, his, his friends, all the others, consented to the will of God. And they followed him. And they prayed for him. They cheered him on. And they encouraged him all the way to Jerusalem. As we endeavor to serve God, we need to always seek a better understanding of God's will. And the more we understand God's will, the less we should be tempted to be deterred from following that will, even if the end result is something we would never choose to do for ourselves. It's the culmination of all the things I've talked about already, marking the journey, be, being changed by the journey, not going on the journey alone. Uh, because if we truly trust Christ and seek him in all of these things, we go on the journey and let it change us and let the people surround us and pour into our lives, then, then following God's will is, is easy. We've let God do the work, and now we can do the work for him. If we truly trust Christ and seek him in all of these things, we're able to trust God by to be that guide we need in all of our decisions. At the end of March, March 2023, so just a couple of months ago, Taylor Hash, a beginner pilot in um, Michigan, was 21 years old. She was flying her third ever solo flight. She only had six hours of solo flight under her belt. 
On this day in March 2023, 21 years old, six hours of solo flight time under her belt. As she took off that day, the nose wheel, nose wheel assembly, everything just stayed onto the, onto the runway, broke off. She took off, left the nose wheel on the ground. Even though she was flying solo, though, she wasn't alone. Tower control, well, well somebody, somebody on the ground, another pilot on the ground that had taken off saw it, reported it. Tower control helped guide her back to the runway, made sure all the resources were that she needed, made sure EMS was there, made sure that the, the airport was closed, that all the air traffic was cleared and everything. Um, uh, so tower control did all that. Another pilot that was already in the air that was really close by came in and followed her as she circled the airport followed her around and was, was keeping a visual, a close visual con uh, contact on the condition of her plane and was able to report back anything that would happen. But it was veteran pilot and pilot instructor Chris Yates who was on site who went to go sit in the cockpit of his own plane on the tarmac where he could see what was going on clearly and use his radio uh, to, to talk to her and coach her through the landing. It took a community to help this frightened young pilot back to safety, but it was trusting in the voice of the instructor that actually got her there. After a safe landing with the nose on the ground, the plane tilted like this, and the nose on the ground like that. After a safe landing, the instructor said over the radio, I'm proud of you, kiddo. Ultimately, that's what should matter in our lives. The voice of our master following his instruction and one day hearing the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. In everything, in good times and bad, we strive to seek the will of God, be found in the will of God, speak the will of God, and do the will of God. Anything else becomes the will of someone or something else, seeking the approval of someone or something else. And when we place the will of anything else Above the will of God, we begin to create dangerous idols in our lives. Idols that distract us and keep us from moving forward in the journey God wants us to, to be on. In a perfect world, we never have to do life alone or feel alone. It's part of our creative design to live life with others. Things feel right when we're surrounded by people who are cheering us on. And when we feel alone, we know instinctively that it's not right. The design is malfunctioning, but it's the voice of our Savior. It's the voice of our Savior that can cut through all the things that are malfunctioning and guide us to safety. When things are going wrong, that's the voice we need to listen to. The malfunction is sin. It malfunctioned in the garden, and sin gets in the way of so much in our lives, including our friendships. But the warm relationship that will never leave you nor forsake you is with Christ. When we know his voice and listen to his voice, listen to our guide, we will never be alone. Because let's face it, sin means we're flying through life without the nose wheel on the front of our plane. Life is broken. Our only hope of landing well at the end of our life is to listen to the voice of our Savior. Even when it's difficult, even when it hurts, even when you don't feel like contributing, Jesus is still there, 
Don't let the applause or the boos of the world keep you from hearing his voice. And if you cling to the will of God in your life, if you place him first in your life, you'll find all of these, all of these journeys, all of these friendships, all of these experiences are making you a better person. They're making you a better Christian. Paul's missionary journeys were coming to an end. He was traveling into something dangerous and he didn't exactly know what. As he did, God basically gave him a tour of the journey so far. The places, the people, the changes God had brought him through. You don't think Paul didn't, didn't think, didn't process, that he didn't reflect on the person he used to be when he stepped in the Philip's house? When he saw those believers of Phoenicia, he was the reason they were there. God's taken him through this journey here at the end and he's showing him all of these things, all of these changes that he's brought in his life, all of which, Paul, which gave Paul confidence to continue following the voice of God wherever God would take him. At this point, Paul had no idea where he was going. Just like when I graduated high school, I had no idea I would meet the love of my life. I had no idea that, would, uh, that, that that would begin a journey into ministry and bring me to this place on this day to share this message. Paul didn't know that God was putting him on a path to potentially share the gospel with the emperor of the Roman Empire himself. That's where Paul's going. Spoiler alert. Right now, Paul has no idea. All he knows is there's trouble waiting for him in Jerusalem, but God wants him to go. Don't ever lose sight that God has a much bigger plan for your life than you do. It's been said that if you want to make God life, tell him your plans. Don't fight God. Let him transform you into the beautiful creation that he wants you to be. The journey he has you on, the ups, downs, the friends he's surrounding you with, it's all part of the story he's writing in your life. A story that he might one day use to bring the gospel to someone who might otherwise never have heard it or listened to it. Each step along the way, each thing you've gone through, good thing, bad thing, it's a part of your story. You don't know. You know, we, we all ask the question, why, why, the good, why the bad things happen to good people? That's another sermon. And that's not an easy answer. It certainly won't be a sufficient answer. But I do know this. God has a way of using the things you've been through so that you can help somebody else go through the same thing. What you've experienced has brought you closer to God. And one day, you might have to be the voice, be the voice of the cross for someone who is walking through the same thing. 
someone who might never come to Christ if not for you and your experiences. Don't cheapen your experiences. God doesn't waste it. That's part of your ministry. When that young pilot, Taylor, um, as she was getting ready to land, the uh, flying instructor asked her if she was planning on being a career pilot. Her voice is trembling, right? She's scared to death. She said, I was. And he said, now you've got a great story to start your legacy. You have great stories of the faithfulness of God. And God will use those to help you minister to people who need it. And so my challenge for you today is simple. Are you letting God guide you on your journey? Are you, are, are you fighting it? Maybe you see that step and you're telling God no. He's going to push you out one way or the other. You may be camped out in this, this, this house you've built in this place in your life. This, this building of safety that you fill with all of the things that you enjoy in your current space in life. But, but if you won't take the step out the door, God has a way sometimes burning those things down and making us go out. But if you're a believer here today, God has a unique plan for you to accomplish a ministry that only you can accomplish. Yes, we are all in ministry. If you are a Christian, you are a minister. You are doing ministry. You have been called to minister to people, and there are unique people out there that your unique story can minister to that mine can't. You're the only one that can reach them. Are you looking for that? Are you letting God guide you to go and do what he wants you to do? If you're not a believer today, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you one more time. I've said it twice already. Have you ever felt like you were meant for something more? It's because you have. Because you are. You are. This is your call to the journey. In the hero's journey, the hero faces a call. It's, it's, it's so, so hilarious because, because he was right there. He almost got to Jesus. He almost got to Jesus and he missed it. This, this inbuilt desire within us that stories all across culture, all across the world, all across history are telling the same thing. We're dissatisfied with life. And there comes a time when something supernatural calls us to go discover something more. Don't almost get Jesus because you felt the call to discover something more and you've refused. Start the journey and discover what God has created you to become. Discover who you were meant to be. It's not where you are. It's out there. 
And it can be scary sometimes, but you don't have to do it alone. This is where you can take that first step. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for the example we have in Paul, all of the little bitty things, the steps along the way. God, I just pray that if there's someone here who needs to take another step in their journey with you, whether that's a step forward to, to grow in their faith, or maybe it's the very first step, find out, find out what they were meant to become. I pray that you give them the courage to do that, that you move among our hearts, that you move among this place, that you move us, God. Move us in our journey with you. In the name I pray, amen. Would you stand, please?